0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. We speak with industry leaders introducing you to some of the most interesting people and businesses today. We are focused on women, money, and power, as well as diversity in all areas. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO, along with... I'm
1: Beth Hilbane, co-CEO. So thank you for joining us today. And today, we're so excited to be speaking with Pamela Slim. So Welcome, Pamela. Pamela is an award-winning author, speaker, and small business strategist. She works with thought leaders who she calls architects of liberatory change to scale their impact and income through the intelligent design of IP. Pam and her team build certification and licensing programs with client partners, applying over 30 years of instructional development and training experience into profitable and scalable programs,
2: which we all need.
1: So thank you to our listeners and welcome pamela to c-suite talks
2: i'm so happy to be here
1: oh good so you have such an amazing background so to kind of level set the listeners can you kind of walk us through your career and how you got to where you are today
2: for sure, I'll give you just the that high level skip through. so i my background is in training and development. Actually, my early early days was in economic development uh, through the lens of grassroots change. my My major in college was actually international service and development, so I lived in Mexico and Colombia and did a lot of projects looking at grassroots social change. So I've always had a heart for change. But I moved in my career into training and development and organizational development because it really is an example of utilizing a lot of the the change kind of methods with people in organizations. So I did that Mm -hmm. up until about 27 years ago. I was the director of training and development at Barclays Global Investors. And I left to start my own consulting business. So I did consulting for about 10 years in Silicon Valley. I'm from California originally. And about the end of that, I found that there were all these people who kept coming up to me saying, how did you do it? How did you leave to start a business? And many of them were the clients who had hired me to retain their employees. (laughs) So I thought, there's something going on here. So I started my blog, Escape from Cubicle Nation, in 2005. That turned into my first book, published by Penguin Random House. And then that was followed by now about 17 years of doing starting early stage uh, growth strategy with people leaving corporate to start a business. And in the recent years, I focused a lot more on folks who were in a scaling um, situation where now I really marry all of those years of training and development building programs, especially for B2B environments with thought leaders who have amazing ideas that they want to scale through their business. So that's that's kind of what my career trajectory has been. In about the last seven years, my husband and I also have a brick-and-mortar community space here in Mesa, Arizona, where in addition to having our office and greeting clients, we also offer it free of charge for BIPOC entrepreneurs, which is a real passion. My husband is Navajo, and so we have a real passion for doing a lot of local change.
0: Wow. Thank you for telling us all that. So your center is called K Community Labs, right? And you're doing work with community ecosystem partners. So what does that actually mean? Who are your ecosystem partners and how do you help them?
2: Here in Arizona, it's probably similar to other places. We have huge growth and development on our main street. We had a billion dollars worth of investment. And part of what you look at when you have economic growth locally is uh, who is really being centered, who's benefiting from the development, and who's being pushed out. And generally, it's folks that might be lower income, which tend to also skew towards more folks in communities of color. And so part of what it is that we do is we work with nonprofits, our local government, Art Center, um, ASU, Arizona State University that has a brand new facility down here. And basically, we really do things to strengthen the neighborhoods, the business community so that people can own their own buildings, own their own businesses, stay in spaces that will benefit from the growth that we have here. Um, I I joke sometimes for folks, I'm just really the local unpaid busybody. So my job is just to walk around, figure out exactly what's going on and to make sure people are connected with each other so that opportunities happen. We have, for example, we have a building right behind us, a beautiful uh, environmentally sustainable building that'll have 107 units built. And because I'm a busybody, I know the developer, they have a big art project they want to have on the side of the building. And so I've made sure that we have our local Atham artists that are the tribe from this actual physical local area that will be creating a big art piece to go on the building. So things like that are just what I pay attention to as a community builder. And it is more my volunteer efforts, if you will. But in the bigger imprint of work that I do all day, every day with thought leaders, many of the folks I work with are folks of color themselves, and they really have revolutionary ideas that they're using in their own communities as well as in the global community.
0: Give us some ideas, like what types of sustainable and scalable projects are you working on?
2: So, one I, I did a number of years ago was with Susan Kane, if you know her, who wrote the great book Quiet about the power of introverts. So, I worked with Susan for about 18 months to build her platform, Quiet Revolution. And so, we had a whole series of different projects with that, creating the Quiet Leadership Institute, corporate training programs. We had a partnership with Steelcase for quiet spaces, which were furniture, office furniture, and cubicles specifically designed for introverts. So, that's an example of a, a, a client doing really really deep change. I work with a data scientist in Toronto, Heather Krause of We All Count, who has built uh, training for data scientists around the world to be reducing bias and data equity. Um, I have clients that are doing work, deep work in research about black women thriving in organizations, Erica Hines from Every Level Leadership. So it tends to be people, the term I use, architects of liberatory change, is there are so many people who are just making positive change in general. The kinds of things I get really excited about is where we might replace harmful structures. So those of us that have lived in corporate environments know all the conversations we're having these days, for example, about how it is we operate together. I'm always interested in working with somebody that says, here's a model that's really going to work for the situation that we have today. Here's a way that we can do something that will really reduce and eliminate the bias that you know, small business owners might face when they're going to get loans at a bank. You know, Things like that are, for me personally, what really energized me after all these years. Uh, And I feel like it's my responsibility to help build the infrastructure for the future for my kids and all of our extended relatives. That's great. That's amazing work you're doing.
1: So I saw that you um, did a TED Talk on finding the purpose of work in the new world of work. Can you tell us what that was about and kind of some of the key messages? Because I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people as we see all the new generations coming into play. Um, coming back off of COVID, and then um, the shifting of the workforce and what we're seeing happening.
2: For sure. I always say I'm an author practitioner. So that talk was really based on my last book, which was called Body of Work. And so I told you earlier, Escape from Cubicle Nation was really written from the work I did in early stage entrepreneurship of helping people leave. What I found after I worked with people for a long time in that space is people were saying, the only way you can be creative and free is if you work for yourself. I don't know about you, but I know plenty of people who don't work for themselves who are creative and free. <laughs> they might work for academic situations, work for somebody else's business. So body of work is really looking at your life and your career as a body of work, much like an author or an artist would look at. And at different stages of our life, we focus on creating different things. It's our job to really tell the story Of how that body of work connects and how we create opportunities for ourselves, knowing we have flexibility to do lots of different things within our career, because we don't really need to have that singular path anymore. Either you choose corporate or you choose entrepreneurship. These are things that we can really shape. So, body of work was really a way to look at that holistically so that you can choose the next step and not worry if you've been a lawyer and you wanna open a bakery or if you've had a bakery and you wanna go to medical school. Like I've seen it all in so many years of doing career and workforce development and people have more opportunity than they think.
0: They do even within their job. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has a side gig. <laughs> Look at us.
0: Yeah, that's true. Look at me and Beth. And ours became a national association with hundreds of members and thousands and thousands of you know people that we would touch for sure. So the widest net is within your two books, but could you define what the widest net is? Because I know you talk about that.
2: For sure. It's actually the third book. So yes, so there was Escape from Cubicle Nation, Helping People Leave. Body of Work is really focused on what is that work that somebody wants to create. The Widest Net came out in 2021, the end of 2021. And this is really a methodology for how you build an audience around that work. Many of us have Heard a lot of the terminology of like building our empires. I'm sure you've seen that, right? Let's crush and dominate our competitors. Let's, you know, build our business empire. Uh, I think, especially as women business owners, we've seen a lot of the reason why empires don't work unless you're the person at the top that tends to be a male. <laughs> and uh, so I really look at it more from ecosystems. I center my ideal clients, and look at that natural ecosystem that surrounds them of companies that serve their needs, other service providers that provide a complimentary service, associations is a big section in my book in the ecosystem wheel where we are looking for places in person and online. I call them watering holes where other wonderful people have already assembled an audience uh, where our ideal clients are likely to show up. So me having the opportunity today to meet both of you first for the first time, connecting with your audience, probably none of whom have any idea who I am, all of a sudden, we can begin to build a really positive connection. And the way that I would see it is if what I provide is going to be strengthening and supporting women that you're you're also supporting, then vice versa. What you provide can be strengthening and supporting to women that I work with. So really, there's a whole methodology. You might have noticed the theme. I'm sort of a method person. <laughs> I work with people, notice what they're struggling with, build tools, assemble it into a methodology. And that's what... Um, Came out in the latest form of the book, and I was thrilled it won best sales and marketing book of 2021 from Portlight Books, which is the nation's biggest uh, business bookseller. Oh, that's
1: great!
0: Congratulations! That that is huge. Well, it sounds like your work is so impactful because really, it's not just you; you are literally building entire ecosystems around this. So, well, let's talk about ecosystem marketing versus empire building, which I think we just touched on, but maybe you can expand on.
2: For sure. So. One of the ways I think about it from an effort and energy perspective, a lot of people get paralyzed when they're either starting their business, maybe they're shifting into a new area and wanting to grow. And I call it just like looking into the internet and yelling stage <laughs> where you're like, I know that there are people who are ideal customers for me, but where in the world should I start finding them? Should I run ads or should I you know, join a mastermind or people get very confused? We've all done that. <laughs> right? We've all done it. I know. (laughs) Right. We've all done it. Where are they? (laughs) Right. Should I join TikTok and do dances? And like, what what should I do? So my, my first piece of advice is there already are people who have created these watering holes, these places where large amounts of ideal clients are already gathered. And so strategically, if first we define our ideal audience by problem, challenge, or aspiration, so let's say women who in your terms, right? Really want to strengthen their growth and career. They want to experience and exercise their power and grow in leadership. When you have a definition like that, I can see my own clients also in that description. And I can also think of, oh, what other podcasts are they listening to around these topics? What companies might be selling products or services? into this audience. This is a a hidden gem that I've learned over the years. When you partner with a company whose clients are also your ideal clients, very often they have hundreds of thousands if not millions of customers that are an ideal fit for you. I had during uh, the shutdown, I noticed GoDaddy, which is I'm a Customer of, they have my domains. They were doing webinars for people during the, the shutdown over Zoom. So I just reached out. I got my customer email. I just I saw they were doing webinars and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm an author and, and thought leader in this area. Can I do a webinar for you on tiny marketing actions, which is one of the methodologies in my book? They said, Yes. I did a webinar. They brought 4,000 people which is kind of fantastic, right? All of a sudden, all at once, I get that visibility. They liked it so much, they did another one. They liked that so much, they brought me in to speak at their customer conference. So strategically, when you begin to look at these places in the ecosystem, and there are 10 different segments of the ecosystem wheel in the, in the methodology, you can be very deliberate and specific about your marketing. So you might say, I I'm gonna, I want a guest on these podcasts. I want to speak at this Brands Conference, which is just teeming with ideal clients. I want to find another gem for you are my peanut butter and jelly partners, people who have highly complementary but non-competitive services. So for me, my PB&Js are intellectual property attorneys, web designers, uh, copywriters, people every single day that my clients are asking me for referrals to. So with this, you have a very specific place where you know you need to be connecting with people. And then you take these tiny marketing actions, ways to reach out so that you, be, you begin to build these relationships. And it tends to really start to snowball in a good way when you're very strategic about where you're spending your time.
1: We love, we love this. (laughs) No, that's fabulous. And so is that, so that's the PB&J referral strategies, what you just threw basically.
0: So you're all about building community. So, so how do we do this? How do we build community in an authentic way? I mean, Beth and I have been doing that for years now, but, but we'd love some insights from you because you've certainly done it in a very scalable way.
2: Yeah. One of the things when you think about it through the lens of showing up in places where Already, your ideal client is spending time. It's not so much that you need to build a new community; it's that you need to build a relationship with people who are already in community with each other. So we 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 noticed today. This is the very first time we're meeting. We had a little bit of email exchange back and forth, but usually that first touch is that natural way in which we you know we kind of check each other out. We notice if we we resonate with the kinds of messages. And through time in an organic way, which is the way that we tend to get to know each other, we we slowly build trust. And hopefully, right, that either we build trust or you notice sometimes if you've ever had maybe a conversation with somebody or you've like started down that path of building a relationship and maybe it's something they say, maybe it's something they do where all of a sudden you kind of lean back and you say, I'm not sure if this is really that right person for me. Those are ways that we naturally pay attention to the small ways in which we just begin to have these connections. And so for me, a big part of being deliberate about the ecosystems that we participate in is where you do want to share values. You don't want to waste somebody's time if they they're not on the same page in terms of how it is they're building their business. um, Because it just means that you're not going to be able to be more like open, free and supportive with the work that you're sharing. And the other thing is for anybody listening, who's ever maybe done partnerships or maybe referred somebody to another service provider where maybe there wasn't that same values alignment what happens from a branding perspective is all of a sudden that client who could be very beloved to you who thinks you are the bee's knees all of a sudden they're like gosh why did Diane refer me to that person you know they were rude they they treated my assistant you know in a disrespectful way like why would she do that and all of a sudden i've actually put my own brand in jeopardy by referring somebody that wasn't aligned from a values perspective. So that's the way I think that we begin to pay attention is we're, we're discerning for our ideal customers. Um, on one hand, how can we really identify, I call them the Justice League, you know, of great service providers. If we could think of all the best people that would surround our clients so that they get all of their problems resolved, who would that be? And that's us understanding these players in the ecosystem. And then we also do that job of discerning who is actually going to be treating our customers the same beloved way that we treat them. And that is critical because it's not just that you provide the service, but you do it in a way that's in harmony with what your customers want.
1: So how does that feed into the business incubation strategy?
2: Right, exactly. Because it sounds like
0: it sounds like here's the thing. I hear you. I hear you, Pam. And you're like building this community. But if someone's on the outside and wants to come in, does does the does the uh, community expand?
2: It does. I mean, and I again, I make a distinction for like what it is that we do here locally. When we we do have a brick and mortar space in which community members come in here, and so much like your home, right? You think I'm I'm a, I'm very. Thankfully, very friendly with all of my neighbors. But occasionally you have somebody a little more surly. They might, you know, leave their garbage can out. They snarl at you or your kids or something like that, right? And you're like, you have those neighbors where you're like, come on in. We have extra barbecue. You know, come on in the back and, you know, hang out with us. And then you might have people where you're like, don't feel so open about that. That is, I think that is fine, and that is the role of a community builder, thinking about what you do in your association. I imagine you pay attention to things like that. When it takes so much in order to build this trust in a good environment for folks, you want to be really deliberate about who comes in. You want to be welcoming and, and give folks you know, a chance to come in and get comfortable. But then you might notice if there's any behavior that is not in alignment with your values, generally it takes care of itself, I find.
0: I think Beth and I have found that too.
2: <laughs> yeah, they just kind of get the vibe. They might notice it's not really for them, and it's not about junior high, like dramatic, uh, you know, expelling people and judging people. It's not about that. It's really looking for the right fit, so that in any, any environment, whether we we're very deliberate here, we have a very deliberate approach to our community here. We, we're very open. We don't have a whole bunch of bureaucracy. We, have, we, we give the key to folks who come in to use our space. We are not hovering. They're the ones that take care of it. And we've been here for seven years, and we have never had a single problem, not a pencil eraser that was out of place, from hundreds of different groups and thousands of people who have come through the space. And that's because we're deliberate in communicating what we're about that it is a space for all community, that we are centering, in our case, BIPOC entrepreneurs. And so obviously I'm a white woman and that's part of the dynamic that I know in providing this space, I'm not going to be hovering in an event that might be deliberately to create a safe space where indigenous women entrepreneurs could have a private conversation or black entrepreneurs could have a conversation. I know even though I'm married to a Navajo, I am not from that culture. And so part of it is, Understanding, you know, there's plenty of times in which all of us are mixing all with each other and we're deep friends and so forth, but it's also having discernment about how are we making sure that we're really creating space for what people actually need. And I find for a lot of communities that may not always feel safe in an environment, that sometimes they really just want to have a space that is just to have their own conversation, much like you might have women entrepreneurs that could talk about things in a way that maybe even if there was one man in the room could maybe feel not quite so comfortable based on the way that we're socialized.
1: So what's on your docket for your next book?
2: That's a good question. I usually take about seven years or so between books. It takes me a long time because I have to figure out like what I'm what I'm doing. So I'll tell you, there's there's two two thoughts. One of them is I am very passionate about this idea of architects of liberatory change and really looking at what does it take to create truly solid, world-changing IP? This is an example of a book that's probably a little bit more specific toward people that are in professional services, people who are really creating methodology, but there is a lot that we've learned. I work with a whole team of amazing instructional designers in the work that we do with clients, and there's a lot that I've learned about what makes an actual transformational method, and that's what I'm passionate about, not just having a cool idea and selling a bunch of it, but really creating things that will create transformational experiences. So on one side, I'm like, maybe that's a book or maybe not. The other one that I thought about right away, almost a few months after The Widest Net came out is a phrase that my best friend, Desiree Attaway, always said to her girls when they left the house, which is make good choices. And I feel like I spend half my life as a business advisor, helping people to make choices as they go through different stages of growth from a perspective of maintaining a high level of integrity, honoring themselves, showing up authentically, and not creating a life that is not what they want. So that just feels like that could maybe be a little more that motivational self-helpy arena, which I love. Like I, I love to consume that kind of content. I think I've just been much more in that solid like business methodology before. So this that that may be the next one. We we shall see. Give me about six more years and, and I think I'll <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay. I think they sound great. Uh, terrific, terrific. So for the books that are out there already, where do we find your books and how can how can anybody listening find you?
2: Yeah, you can find me at PamelaSlim.com. And that's where all my books are, programs, and I love to connect with folks on LinkedIn. So just look me up there at Pamela Slim.
0: Terrific, terrific. So thank you, Pamela Slim, award-winning author, speaker, and small business strategist. Although I think, quite honestly, you're more than a small business strategist. You are an ecosystem Builder. <laughs> we've, we've just put that crown on you. So thank you to our sponsors Google, City National Bank, the law firm of Manette, the law firm of Paul Hastings, Interpublic Group, which is an advertising media and PR company firm, and my company, Amplify Professional Services. We do executive search and IT consulting. And our newest sponsor is Uncle Nearest, which has the most amazing bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. And thank you for listening. So hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast today leave us a review five stars of course and then send us an email beth at csweet.org and check out our website www.csweet.org and come and get active and as we always say just start swimming and meet some amazing women so thank you pamela thank you diane and thank you to our listeners thank you beth